Uniquely Phenom Collaboration presents Those Who Rise and Shine, a new kind of networking event celebrating the human spirit. On April 6, 2023 in Smithtown, New York, five brave presenters took the stage to share moments of stepping into their greatness. Please enjoy this presentation. For more information, visit uniquelyphenom.com. Welcome everybody to our very first um, uh, presentation of Those Who Rise and Shine. Um, I just want to quickly go through our agenda with you and then we we'll to give you a little skinny on what this whole thing's about. Um, but I just want to thank you all for, for taking this first time journey with me. This is the first time we're throwing it and I'm hoping it's the first of many. Um, um, so we're going to, uh, we're totally off schedule already, so don't even worry about the times. Um, but what's going to happen is I'm going to give you a little spiel about what we're doing here. And then uh, we're going to have uh, Nicole and Simon and Michaela present to you guys. So it's like 10 minute segments. And no matter where they are in their story, I'm cutting them off at 10. So just so you guys know. And you got a clap for us anyway. Yeah. <laughs> don't leave me a cliffhanger hanging at the end because you're, you're cut off. Um, and then we're going to do a 10 minute break so we can get up, stretch, grab some food, go to the potty. And then I'm going to do a raffle and explain a little bit more about what we do. And then we're going to have Chris and Chrissy uh, round out the presentations. I'll do a little woohoo, everything's wonderful. And then we're just going to hang out. Uniquely Phenom Collaboration is uh, the company that my co-founder Dana and I started. And we are about creating tools and resources for creators. Um, people that are creating businesses, creating experiences, creating anything in life that have the courage to do it. So no matter what it is, uh, we celebrate you and we support you and we invest in you. And uh, this, is the, this is just a small, small piece of what we're doing. Um, we are a book publishing company, we're an online learning company, um, but we are truly about celebrating the human spirit and the stories that, that we are told. So I hate networking events. I don't know if anybody does, but I hate networking events. Hi, my name's so-and-so, what's your business? Like, I hate it. So um, my thought was to have people come up here, it doesn't matter what kind of business, doesn't matter what category you're in and what you're trying to do, if you're an advocate or if you're sell stanchions, and, and we'll tell you what those are <laughs> later. Um, but it's, it's the people behind these businesses and, and the why you do these things that's really, really important. And if we can connect on that level, then we kind of create relationships in a much deeper, much quicker way. So this is like just streamlining the whole process. And uh, my hope for you is that you guys make some connections today and just and you're just going to meet some really cool people because these are really freaking cool people that are coming up here tonight. From Hell to HR, presented by Nicole Crevero. Nicole Crevero, owner of Crave HRO, HR consulting for employers who care, created her business after overcoming challenges that could easily have stifled her success. Nicole openly shares that she hadn't been the most stellar student for much of her educational career and had even found herself in a group home during her adolescence. She speaks of how she turned it around, found her passion in HR, and graduated with her master's degree from Stony Brook College in the same town that she spent a month of her life in a group home 15 years prior. With humor and candor, Nicole discusses overcoming the fiery pits of hell and celebrates the life she's created for herself. Connect with Nicole at cravehro.com. That's C-R-A-V-E-H-R-O.com. Miss Nicole, Miss Nicole. Um, Nicole was, uh, I met her at a networking event. <laughs> <laughs> 
and uh, she has, I don't know, we connected like right away uh, on a friendship level, and I really believe in what she's doing. She is she has started an HR company that is out of the box and brand new and, and like shifting paradigms in that whole world. And I'm just really proud of her, and I'm really excited that she's here to share her story with us. So come on up, Nicole. Everyone hear me? Yes. Okay, great. So, any HR people in here? Nice. Um, are you guys okay? You need help? <laughs> you need a sign? We can talk after. <laughs> um, so, I have a little picture here. This is where it all started. Oh, oh, wait, it's the wrong picture. I'm sorry. <laughs> This is where it all started. <laughs> so this is me, um, freshman year in high school. I'm not sure if this picture was taken before or after the group home, but it was around this time. Um, I was angsty. I was drinking, smoking, kissing boys. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> um, I didn't care for school at all. Um, I got a 13 on a math test once, and I'm pretty sure that they gave me those points just for writing my name correctly. <laughs> um, so as you can imagine, when it came to time to apply to schools, um, a lot of people thought that I would be wasting my time and money, and I probably was. I ended up going to the only SUNY school that did not require SAT scores. Um, I majored in sorority 101. <laughs> um, my first semester, I only passed one class, and it was history of rock and roll. Um, my dad was also proud of that, too. <laughs> um, so I graduated a semester late with like a GPA that was something around like 3.2, I, I, something like that, maybe less. Um, no, definitely less. It was 2.3. Sorry. <laughs> See, math. Um, so after school, kind of wasn't really sure what I was going to do with my life. So I worked a bunch of odd jobs. And here are some of my favorite. I worked at the front desk of Planet Fitness. Um, I actually was a certified preschool teacher, but then I realized pretty quickly that I didn't enjoy working with children so much. And I'd rather work with adult kids. Um, so, oh, I also worked at a biker bar. That, that was fun as an experience. Um, when I decided to go into the corporate world, I wanted something more stable, um, nine to five. I wasn't, I don't be working weekends anymore. And I put in my notice at the restaurant and my boss at the time said to me, you won't last two months in the corporate world. Spoiler alert, I did. <laughs> um, so I started as a receptionist at an accounting firm. I had literally no idea what accountants did. I was just happy to get my foot in the door somewhere. And I worked my way up to administrative assistant, then executive assistant, and then firm administrator. I went back to school. It was after a six-year hiatus. Um, I majored in business administration, enjoyed that. Um, I started working in HR by accident. <laughs> so I was working for a startup accounting firm and I was their fifth employee. They were in their first year of business and they tripled their staff. Naturally, since I was the only non-financial person there, I was the one who got to do all 
the responsibilities that fell under the admin category. But it turned out that I actually enjoyed HR more than the job I was actually hired to do. Um, so I went back to school for um, HR and I got my master's, graduated with a 4.0, which was a huge improvement from my 2.3. <laughs> Most improved right here. Um, and I basically, this was the same town too that I had been in that group home 15 years earlier. So it was quite the turnaround. Um, I started working full time at a payroll company. I really enjoyed what I was doing. I had 75 clients. I was the main point of contact for 2,000 employees. And this was during COVID, so you can only imagine what that was like. <laughs> um, unfortunately, my colleague and I were discussing um, our salaries, which we are totally allowed to do under the National Labor Relations Board, just in case anyone was wondering. <laughs> um, but it turned out that he was making a significant amount more money than I could. And we started the same week. Um, so I asked for a raise and they gave me a $2,000 increase. Great. I took it, but I also started looking for other jobs. I found one um, that was actually paying me $20,000 more a year. Unfortunately, <laughs> it was not the experience I thought it was going to be. They hired me on um, under the guise that they wanted my expertise. They wanted to make a better environment for their employees. They wanted me to um, you know, increase morale and bring a fresh perspective. When I started working, the very first day, the owners were screaming in the office next to mine. So that was like red flag number one um, of many. But one day they put their employees' safety at risk and against my advice. So naturally, I got up and walked out in the middle of the day. Uh, so that is how I came to create my own company, Crave HRO. Um, at the same time that I started my business, I also received an offer um, making another $20,000. Um, so job hopping pays people. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> but it's six minutes away from my house, internal HR management. I have opportunities to travel. So I took it. So now I'm doing both. I'm internal HR manager, nine to five, and then I've got a couple small clients. I specifically targeted clients in different time zones so I can come home and work on their stuff. Um, things were going really well, or so I thought, for a year. Um, I'm not really allowed to say much about it. <laughs> but let's just say that um, I might have been a little too progressive. And unfortunately, um, tragedy struck and my mom attempted suicide this past summer. And Two weeks later, they fired me. Great timing. Um, at that point, I was like, well, I cannot dedicate my time in this market to getting a new job. Um, it could just be too much. Um, I was the best, so who's gonna hire me, <laughs> you know? So I just rolled right into my business and it worked out great because I was able to work with the clients I already had and till I was able to get everything settled. And you know, when 
the time came, I started growing. I tripled my clients in actually the first three months. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so it's been a little bit over six months now. No, I've won several awards. I'm the co-chair of the Shuram uh, Professional Development Committee as well as the HIAHR Committee. Um, this is the first of five speaking engagements that I have scheduled for this spring. This is my first awesome. speaking engagement ever, by the way. <laughs> um, so thanks, everyone. <laughs> um, but as this title like, implies, you know, from hell to HR, it kind of makes it seem like, you know, I went, I went through hell and I, I rose from the ashes, but that's not necessarily true. I'm still in hell. It's just a different <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm dead up to my eyeballs. I had to withdraw from my PhD program. You know, I my mom's back in the hospital as of a couple weeks ago. I have some crazy neighbors you might have heard about. <laughs> but um, at the end of the day, I do this work to make life at work a little less hellish for the employees that um, you know I work with. And you know, going forward, I strive to only work with employers who care for their employees. And that's me. Trust Your Instincts, presented by Simon Brazier. Simon Brazier is the director of sales with Visiontron. Throughout his extensive experience working with people under various circumstances, he has learned to trust his instincts, regardless of popular opinion. Simon shares his story with the hope of inspiring people to listen to that voice, because it is always right. Connect with Simon at visiontron.com. That's V-I-S-I-O-N-T-R-O-N.com. So this next presenter is a dear friend of mine. Uh, before I started uniquely. I was a uh, director of marketing for a local comp local manufacturing company who makes stanchions. So stanchions are those things like when you're waiting in line at the, at the movie theater and they have the retractable belts and the kids always play with them. Ours were the best. <laughs> so um, we worked at Visiontron and uh, Simon and I were just like the best of buds, sales and marketing, you know, hanging out and we would spend more time chatting about life and uh, he's quite a remarkable person. And I'm very grateful that he came here to share his story with us. So Simon, come on up, kid. I was going to spend 10 minutes talking about stanchions and now he took that away entirely. Um, trust your instincts. I still don't know where this is going to go tonight in terms of conversation. Um, partly because I'm a salesman. That's what I do. And Conversations for me go wherever they go, depending on, I guess, my mood, the audience, um, people I'm talking to. And I think that's a little bit of what tonight is for me. Um, I'm going to ask a quick question to everyone. Who's made a decision and taken a step back and said, ah, oh, you know, I really shouldn't have done that? We all have. <laughs> How many of us have taken that step back and said I should have trusted my instincts? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And how often do we actually do that? More often than yeah. So, I think for me, I mean, I'm going to go through a few different stories. One of which you know very well. Um, I credit this lady for a tremendous amount of things in my life. 
and uh, I have two people, Scott, who you well know, and, uh, and Angela. And I made some very questionable decisions in a relationship. Um, going back, what are we, probably four or five years ago. And I had a very cathartic moment about three weeks ago. And the decisions I made were, I was getting older in life, older than I cared to be. And I had met someone and I thought, you know, this is great. Saw a whole bunch of red flags, but I was at that point where I was like, you know something, let me just suck it up and deal with it. Saw more red flags, was like, ah, you know, it'll be fine. <laughs> um, then tried to have a child and subsequently found out that uh, I had cancer as a consequence of that. So one great thing came out of it. And then some pretty stupid shit happened. And I ended up one night at, I was living in Islip at the time, an Islip town hall, try and find a cop to go with me to the house I owned with her to get into the house to get stuff out because she was threatening to call the police on me for this whole long list of garbage. And I had two officers come to the house and like, yeah, we go through this all the time. And I was like, okay, great. So what can I do? They were like, well, we can do this, this and this. I'm like, okay, great. Well, then what do I do? He said, you walk away. And I was like, I'm all good with that. I'm already trying to do that. So then my cathartic moment was, we get a call at work and we obviously sell stanchions and move theaters, blah, blah, blah. We also sell a product that goes into police departments, fire, etc. And Islip, town of Islip wants to meet with us. And I'm like, okay, no problem. Want to do a demo, we'll do, go do a demo. I plug the address in and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm good. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh crap, I'm going to Islip Town Hall. And I remember walking into Town Hall doing this demo, meeting some really interesting people along the way. And as I do, I end up in a million different conversations in a million different ways. And I walked out of there going, I just got closure. I hadn't been back to the house since I stepped away from it three years ago. And I drove back to the house, drove back along the street. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm done, I'm good. And I think back to decisions I've made and there were so many times I really should have trusted my instinct in this, not just mine, but my kids as well. And I didn't. So all of this goes on. I finally get this closure. Credit I give to, to this lady was she told me something once which you, I've told you before. And I stepped away from this and she said, learn to date yourself. Mm -hmm. And it was such a powerful story because it took me into a point where I can do anything in my life. And I'm very happy with where I am, and I'm very happy with what I do. I love what I do. I sell stanchions. So, I mean, <laughs> you can go one of two ways with that. You can love it, or I sell stanchions. <laughs> it, really, it really doesn't matter. Um, and then Scott, who I mentioned earlier, who retired NYPD cop, worked for us. And I was that guy that said, you know something? I'm going to work because I love it and I'm going to work in the night and when I'm going to stay in touch when I'm on vacation. Thank you. Five minutes. Beautiful minutes. <laughs> um, and he would keep telling me these stories about 
someone else retired and they just died. And this person retired and they just died. And he pulled me from a point, I lost my, lost my dad at 64. And my brother and I had always had this, you know, we're gonna live our lives, make good choices, retire early or at least live life. And I wasn't, he did, he retired a few years ago, damn him, but whatever. <laughs> um, and I really never made those good decisions and between Scott, between making some really bad choices and then that one thing you said to me after all of this, it changed a lot of what I did and it changed a lot of the way I view life. I just did, um, I'm just doing new life insurance policy. And uh, I met the lady a couple of weeks ago and she said, uh, I just need to put down where you're going on vacation out of the country this year. And I was like, well, I'm going here in May. I'm going here in June. I'm going here in July. In September, I'm going to be here. And for Thanksgiving, I'm probably going to be here. And that for me really came and stemmed from just making some very poor choices, not trusting my instincts, but coming out of it on the other side and now doing things that make me very, very happy every day. I don't care. Look, there's times my boys don't agree. My oldest is 19. <laughs> I, I, I don't have somebody next to me to say, no, he's not that age. Um, turns 20 in July at college. My youngest just turned 17 yesterday. Maya is 12. She gets life. My boys are very much, well, why did you do that? Like, we disagree. Well, you know, sorry, I don't really care. Really don't. I, I'm, I'm me first. I happen to be a dad. I also have to be, happen to be an employer. But I am who matters. So this for me is key. You talk about stanchions and I talk about, my God, I sell stanchions. <laughs> I spent two days in DC. I walked into three sports venues, did stuff that makes me incredibly happy. I get to stand in the architects of the Capitol and watch visitors walking through our stuff with an immense sense of pride. When McCain laid in state, laid in state our stanchions were in the rotunda around his um, casket. We're in 9-11 Memorial and we've been in 9-11 Memorial as a supplier since before they even were where they are when they were in a small building. And that's a sense of pride that I have every single day. And it really comes from the decisions that, that we make. So thank you. Yeah. I appreciate all your time. Find the right balance. Everything I need to know I learned in martial arts. Presented by Michaela Bertishaw. As a life coach and group facilitator, Michaela Bertishaw carries forward the lessons learned through the dojo-kun of Okinawa Kempo Karate into all she does and all she is. Michaela puts herself in a very particular class when she shares that she has earned a black belt, and yes, she always says earned, for she is humbled by her own dedication. She is simply deeply proud to hold this distinction. She is, however, most proud of her white belt, her first and dirtiest. The celebration of her black belt is owed to the grit learned in pursuit of her white belt. Michaela learned to develop her inner and outer strength to move and love like never before. She had no idea it would help her find the right balance through life and offer this gift to others. During For Those Who Rise and Shine, Michaela shares this gift with you. Connect with Michaela on at her website, 
myjoycoach.com. That's M-Y-J-O-Y-C-O-A-C-H.com. All right, so our next presenter is Miss Michaela. Michaela was one of our U instructors. Um, so she brought her beautiful gift of, of creating joy for people and helping them find their joy. And she's just this amazing, amazing person. And I had the honor of working with her um, to find my joy because I'm certainly not joyful enough these days. Um, we can always use more joy, but she is an incredible person. And we have developed such a beautiful relationship and this is the first time I physically met her. So that's the power of um, these, these virtual settings. It's a true testament to what we do. And I'll talk a little bit about that later. But with that said, Miss Michaela, come on up, girl. Good night. All right, friends. Hello. <laughs> Thank you all so very much for joining us tonight. Let me get this flipped around. There we go. So we're going to first start off today by, um, I'd like to admit and acknowledge and be highly transparent. This takes vulnerability, right? I just watched you two stand up and tell your stories and share who you are. And that takes courage. It takes courage and it takes confidence knowing that you have what it takes and that your story is worth telling. So I applaud you. And I will give myself the same regard because it's okay to pat ourselves on the back every now and again, right? But it's, I wanna to talk today, I'm a, I'm a life coach. I bring joy, right? Not this happy-go-lucky, like covered in glitter, although it's my favorite color, but it's the thing that lives between happiness and suffering, right? Joy is the thing that lives inherently within us all day, every day, but it gets confused and, and misdirected by life and the things that come our way. So the story I'm gonna tell you about today is about kicking ass. Right? Just kidding. That's actually not at all what martial arts is about. And we're going to talk about that in a second. So I, I say that because it's, it's interesting to talk about joy and then to talk about martial arts, right? It seems almost like the opposite. But what you're going to find today is that martial arts, in my way of being, just like joy, is not about the pushing and the hurting. It's about the creating the safe, creating the kind, and creating a place that makes yourself and others feel welcome. Okay, so I do have a black belt. Okay, sorry. I do. And I, I left mine in the car. I actually literally forgot it's black, but I have another one. So look at this, right? Beautiful, hand-stitched, legit in Okinawa. This is a beautiful piece of art. It is a beautiful thing. And I am incredibly proud of it. As I say in the intro, I do feel a very special distinguishment by saying I earned a black belt. But more than anything, that beautiful piece of art, it's this one I'm proud of. You know why? It's my first, it's my dirtiest, I worked the hardest for it, and it took more courage to show up and do the things on this first day than it did to show up and do a five hour test to earn my black belt. So this little sucker friends covered in dirt, with duct tape to mark the lines because we weren't embroidering those. <laughs> I want to tell you the story of my first day in black belt class. Okay. Now it starts with what I went in thinking. I thought I was going into kick ass, right? I was going to learn how to like punch and kick and do all these wonderful things. What I learned was how to protect myself. I learned how to keep my person, my property, my spirit, 
safe. I learned how to flow and move with the conditions that life threw my way. I learned how to step out and release the need to engage in a fight that wasn't mine. I also learned who to fight, who not to fight. There's a saying, never fight the minnow, always fight the shark. Don't go down, don't go below you, don't take the easy way. Choose the way where you learn and you grow. Choose the shark. So what I learned in that first day and every day that followed was how to identify, practice, maintain, and then bust through my own personal boundaries. Why did I do this? I did this because I don't know if you know this, but I'm a woman. <laughs> and as a woman, society has created rules about me and about my body and about my worth and about what I can and cannot do. No one asked me about these rules. No one said, hey, Kay, do you approve of this? I just accepted them. I learned very early that giving and pleasing and showing and serving got me praise. It got me credit. It brought me closer to connection. And that is what we are here for. But what I found is that I was giving and serving and doing, and I was doing it all at my expense. So, Seneca tells us, we suffer more often in imagination than we do in reality. And in my imagination, if I spoke up, if I stood up, if I put my aggression, my frustration forward, disconnect. And I was not willing to risk that. I have family here. The idea of losing that connection to family was unfathomable. But I made that assumption. I assumed that if I spoke up, I'd be disconnected. I assumed if I stepped out of the good, perfect way that I was, I would be disconnected. I promise you, they will tell you otherwise. There's no way I would be disconnected from that. But I had to get over that, right? So my body and I, so used to serving, so used to being, so used to giving, had a harsh reality. In my reality, in this my reality, at this time I was 25, my reality had me pulling men's hands from my pants in restaurants and bars. My reality had me escorted home from bartending shifts. My reality had me in lockdowns in the classrooms I was teaching in. My reality had me breaking up fights in the classrooms I was teaching in. My reality was very unsafe, but it was mine. And damn it, I was committed to it. I was committed to it because that's where I was good and I could serve and I could help and I could be but I was putting myself in danger. I was limiting myself, I was shrinking, I was shriveling. So when the opportunity came to walk into that class, my, God bless her, my sensei Marcy, about this big, about that big, fourth degree black belt in Okinawa Kenpo Karate, second degree black belt in Jiu Jitsu, and the woman grabbed a pad and she said, okay, Michaela, kick me. And I said, hell no, <laughs> no. She goes, you have to do this. This is what you're here for. So I get in there and I think I'm strong, right? And I'm in this like, I can take on anything position. And I stayed there. <laughs> and I stayed there and I stayed there. And she looked at me, she said, you do this or you leave. Oh, I thought I mustered everything I had and I stood and I lifted like she taught and I kicked. Just like that. I was very proud. And she looked at me and said, you do it. You do it right. You do your self-service or you get out. And I'm think I cried. And at that point, I had to battle between everything I believed was right, right? I don't hurt people. 
I don't do that. I don't get to do this. I don't get to use my body to inflict pain, but I had to. I literally showed up that day to do this thing. And I had to learn how to step in and kick her like I meant it. And I think I cried again because it's hard. But what I learned that day is that the hardest step sometimes isn't a step. Sometimes it's a kick. But when we understand what's important and that we have the right to protect this body, our people, our beliefs, we also have the right to create the boundary. To say, I see you, karate, open fist. It's a war without weapons. It's a war in the head, a war of practice and preparation. Here are my boundaries. You want to come further? Hang on. Is this my fight? Hang on. Oh, you're coming? Here we go. It is my last resort to go to violence. The dojo kun is the rules of the dojo. The fifth one is refrain from violent behavior. That is to yourself and to others. We do not learn martial arts to fight. We do not practice boundaries to put up a wall. We do not create spaces that are safe to hold others out. We do this to allow them to opt in, to say, I want to be a part of this. I want to be in your space. So when we practice, right, we have to practice this. Because if I just stood there in that position saying, I got this, all of my strength, all of my courage, I'd be knocked over, right? The force would be too much. But if I learn to stay agile and move and step out of the way and get down and deflect, we can do these same practices in our actual relationships in real life, not just in martial arts. We can learn to look at the things coming at us. Our caveman brain, you guys know this, lizard brain, monkey brain. Newsflash, your caveman brain does not want you to be happy. It gives zero flips about your happiness. <laughs> it wants you to be safe. Knowing that you can be safe, that's what I learned. I learned that I can be safe. I can use my body and it's okay. And I also learned that day to choose your heart. Staying the same in that reality where I was being attacked by life, that's hard. Pushing forward, moving into a space that is new, that is also hard. But I promise you, you are worth it and you can do it. Uh, raffle. I just want to tell you a part of our business. So we are a book publisher. We're a new book publisher. Um, we are a phenomenal book publisher. We are phenom publishing. Um, our our shtick is that we do not charge our authors any money up front to publish their books. There are so many um, publishers out there that are anywhere from five to twenty thousand dollars with a two year wait. And we think that's bullshit. So if someone comes to us, the thing is you have to come to us with a complete manuscript, but then we will help you take it to fruition. And then we just like, we work out an estimate and work on, we just absorb the royalties until we hit our numbers. And then you guys make, you know, 75% of the royalties in, in perpetuity. Um, my, our plan is to uh, create book tours and do all that wonderful stuff once we get some momentum going. But currently our books are in London. Um, <laughs> there's a book fair in London. And uh, we have uh, two new authors coming in. I wrote a book. Uh, that's mine, Uniquely You, Update 52. 
And um, I encourage you guys, I put all of our books along the, the wall over there. We've only been in business since November. We published six. And we have some children's books coming and some wonderful Dana's got an art book. So take a look at the books on the shelf. Look through them. There's QR codes if you want to buy them. Buy books, buy books. But one lucky winner is going to receive um, Anne Marie's books today. So Anne Marie wrote these. She's a trans channel. They're a little bit more on the spiritual side. Um, one is a, a, a fiction story, and one is a she's channeled these beautiful messages. I don't know if you've ever heard of like Esther Hicks or uh, so. This is this is amazing. This is like amazing stuff. So I asked Christian to pull a name, and he pulled uh, Jess Driscoll is the winner. Yay! Yay! Here you go. Partners are best in odd numbers, and three is too many. Presented by Chris Coluccio. Chris Coluccio is the CEO and co-founder of TechWorks Consulting, Inc., which continues to grow every day and expand its influence while maintaining the important values it was built on. Chris will share his story of his hard work and dedication and how he, plus a team of great people, helped transform TechWorks from a near-bankruptcy IT provider to one of the most respected technology companies on Long Island. Connect with Chris at maketechwork.com. That's M-A-K-E-T-E-C-H-W-O-R-K.com. Mr. Coluccio. Mr. Coluccio is someone who I know is going to become a very good friend of mine. We have uh, a good connection, and he's just an amazing guy. And he's one of my neighbors. Um, his daughter's friends with my daughter, and we're just in the community together. And um, yeah, I'm just really like proud that he's here. I'm grateful and uh, happy to know. Come on up. Yes, this, this wonderful lady did a wonderful job speaking at one of our organizations yesterday. What I mean, just fantastic work, and everybody loved you. It was just two days ago. Yeah. So much stuff going on. But, um, so, so why partners are best in odd numbers and three is too many is um, the story of, of my company, TechWorks, and um, how we were basically bankrupt um, after 15 years of doing this IT service and being one of the leaders in our industry and finding myself um, at a place where I was like, I was going to shut the doors. We were done. And we had lots of clients and we had lots of people and I didn't know what to do because I had a partner, um, who decided that, uh, you know, we were successful enough and that he could move to Albany and still be, get 50% of the business and, um, kind of check out and then leave it all to me and then just complain when it didn't work. Right. So, um, so that story goes back to us starting this business where, you know, I thought I had met him years ago and he worked at, uh, he worked selling computers and I was fixing computers and I said, well, we should get together and we should start a business because, you know, you do this uh, selling part and uh, you do this, you know, the hardware side and I do this other side of like working with the clients and, and that's, that's going to work out great. And we should just do 50% and that's perfect. And we should never sign any kind of agreements or do anything like that because it, it's got to work out because we're 25 years old and that's how things happen. Things works out. So, um, so, so we sat in McDonald's and we shook hands and we said, uh, yeah, let's start a business. And, um, 
And that's what we did. And to be honest with you, it worked out really well for, for a really long time. Um, we grew our business. He did his things and I did my things. And, um, you know, probably most of the time I was never looking at how much effort he was putting in versus how much effort I was putting in. And, and you know, he worked hard and I worked hard and uh, we both worked really hard. And then um, we grew a business and we hired employees and we had people working for us and everything was kind of hunky dory. But, you know, somehow or another, um, even though we were growing and we were always getting more things, we never were really making a lot of money. You know, I never really put a lot of money in my pocket, never really figured out why we weren't making a lot of money. But, you know, I had enough and I'm not a money type of person who really needed a lot. I can live off a little. I don't, you know, I don't have, I have a small house and an old truck and I'm okay with that stuff. It's fine. I like, I like helping people. I like doing that kind of thing. So, um, so, you know, what's interesting is along the line, along that time, we land this massive client, like they're a $2 billion company and we get them as a client. And I'm like, I'm maybe $2 million company at the time or a little bit smaller than that. Um, and we land this big company. We, they, we take over a $400 million piece for them of one of their entities for IT. And we take this whole thing over and I'm like, holy shit, we made it. We made it. We got everything. We're making money. We got everything you could possibly imagine. Um, and during that time, I, I don't know what happened, but as we grew as a business, my client, my partner didn't grow. He just didn't grow. He didn't want to. Um, he, we took on his client and we made a ton of money and he was supposed to be the financial advisor for us. Um, and he was called himself a CFO and never took an accounting class. So I don't know how that happened and I don't know how I let that happen. But um, yeah, so um, I don't know. One day I find myself in my office um, and just sitting there going, I, I finally look at the books and we're $300,000 in debt. And I'm like, and I have... One of the, and I'm, I'm, I'm done. What am I going to do? $300,000 of debt. And then I have my, my number two guy besides him walk into my office and say, um, if he's not gone, I'm leaving. And I was like, all right, holy shit. Like now's the time I, I have to do something. And then I have another person walk in two days later says, I can't deal with him anymore. I can't deal with him anymore. And I'm like, well, I, and, and I, you know what? Like I knew it. I knew it the whole time. I knew it for years. People were telling with it, like everybody else. I didn't trust my instincts. I knew something was wrong when he said to me, well, I'm going to go to Albany and I'm going to build my house and I'm going to pay attention and I'm still going to run the business and still get 50% of the profits and still make the exact same amount of money you, but I'm not going to be here. And you have to deal with the 20 employees that we have, right? Or 25 employees that we had at the time. And somehow or another, I thought it was actually, I, I was delusional enough to think it was going to be better that he wasn't around, but the control that he still had ripped the company apart. So I sat in that and I finally said, um, okay, well, what, do, what, do, what can I do about this? Like, how does, like, I, I was honestly like ready to close the doors. And I, so I, I called a friend of mine who both of us knew from going down to Orlando and, and doing company events. And I said, listen, can you just, can you just talk to both of us in a meeting? Five minutes already? Wow. This is fast. <laughs> I can talk a lot. Um, so, um, so, okay. So to, to speed that up, I, I, I meet with this, I meet with, uh, with this guy that we, this, this gentleman that we both know and, um, we get together and, uh, and I, we start talking and I'm like, you know, Keith, this isn't working out. And he goes, yeah, that's cause you suck. And he like oh, literally like God. said to me, he said, you're the problem. He literally said oh, to me, God. you're the problem. And I was like, wow. 
And I was like, I didn't know what to do. And, and to be honest, I mean, I'm sure I was some of the problem. Like, I'm, there's, there's no. And so the mediator came back and we, 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 I hired him as a mediator to do this work because we both trusted him. I said, well, we got to figure out what we're going to do about this because he's like, you're the problem and nobody wants to deal with you. And I was like, well, how? Well, okay, if maybe I am. I don't know, but maybe I am. And so the mediator said after that meeting and we had a meeting and I was like, he's just totally delusional. He doesn't understand. He goes, that's because partners are best in odd numbers and three is too many. So um, basically what he was saying to me is the type of person that you are. Um, you have to have somebody that's going to stand up and be as good as if you're going to have a partner, they got to be as good as you or better. Um, if you're going to be able to deal with them. So if you're dealing with a partner like that, um, you know, it's a tough situation to be in. So you have to have a partner that's as good as you and is going to work as hard as you. And at some point that's probably going to change because their life is going to change around you. So we went through this whole entire process. Um, I had a mediator with him. I offered him money for the business the next time that we met with that mediator. And he said, no, it's not enough. And I was like, okay. And I said, well, I'm going to offer you at the time. It was over. It was, you know, it was paying his debt off plus a lot of money. And he said, no, I want more. And I said, well, he said, well, the mediator said to him, he goes, well, um, if you think it's worth more, will you pay him that amount of money? And I said, and he said, um, no, I won't pay it. And he says, well, what makes you think that it's actually worth that type of money if you're not going to pay? Because I said, you give me $500,000 at the time, whatever it was. I said, I'll take it and I'll walk away. And, and he said, I can't pay that amount of money. And the media said, well, what the hell do you think it's worth then? So we went through all these negotiations and all these pieces. And during that time, just, as, just to notice how we move this, I can move the story along a little bit. Because <laughs> all right. So he handed me this book called Traction, right? And if anybody has a chance to read this book, it's a book that changed our lives. And what we did is we wound up rating everybody in our company and we brought the mediator in and he met with every single employee in our company. And as we rated everybody on employee based off of this book called Traction, my partner rated second lowest out of 25 people in the organization wow. for our culture, for the things that he wanted to do. So if you read this book, I recommend it to everybody. It's changed our life. It's called the uh, Entrepreneurial Operating System. From that time, um, I bought my partner out of the business and this story can go on forever. There's a lot more into it. Um, we, during that time, two minutes, we fired, we, we, we let go or fired the bottom half. So we went from 25 people to 17 people kept the same revenue that year, um, and used this traction operating system to grow our business, um, from basically what was a failing business to what's now a five and a half million dollar business with 10 plus 20% profits every year. And um, uh, a group of over 30 people that I love to work with every day. So that's where we're at. Um, my F-ups are my greatest superpower, and they can be yours too. Presented by Chrissy Benzavenga. Chrissy Benzavenga is a writer, singer, and content creator who has walked through the fire and lived to tell the tale. After overcoming many addictions, she changed her career and life path and acts as an advocate for others experiencing similar challenges. Chrissy speaks openly and honestly about overcoming eating disorders, infertility, divorce, anxiety, depression, and low self-worth. She does not subscribe to the notion of airing life's difficulties as TMI. Rather, she shares her stories as a way to uplift and empower others. Connect with Chrissy on Instagram. Um, her handle is ChrissyBZen. That's C-H-R-I-S-S-Y. B Z E N. All right.
right. And then, guys, last but not least, certainly, Miss um, Chrissy. I We just basically met. <laughs> Chrissy saw, um, uh, she watched a podcast that my partner Dana was on. And she was so taken by it that she ordered her book right away. And then we, we got to talking because you called the number. And all of a sudden, you're like signing up. You're thinking you're my first presenter. Get out of here, you. <laughs> okay, one more, Christian, one more. Um, so I, I'm, I'm really happy to meet her. And I'm really grateful that she's here, uh, part of this whole like, you know, pioneering thing. And uh, Chrissy, come on up. It's a lot of energy in this room. So I am a singer as well. And typically I start off my act like, how are you guys doing, you beautiful, sexy people? <laughs> I don't know. I, I think that worked for today. Right? <laughs> so my music partner is here and um, she is my guitar player and she does harmonies with me and we have a female group. And I'm not really plugging anything today. I haven't started a business. I have nine pages written of a book so far. Yeah. It's taken me about a year, but it's coming. It's coming. I'm waiting for it to come out, right? So um, what I wanted to talk to you a bit about today is um, my F-ups. Yeah. So like, if I start with this, I can really bomb this whole presentation, and that's like the thing, right? That's her thing. She bombs things. But um, I do. I do in the worst way. I have. I have notoriously bombed things since 18 years old, right? So let, I'm going to take you down a trip through memory lane, and I'm going to tell you about my F-ups, but I'm not going to explain why they happened. Now, that's the hardest part. Because I want to tell you why I effed up, right? Because we all eff up for a reason. But I want to tell you why. You know why? Because I want you to tell me. I get why you did that. I get it. I get it. And I'm like, yes, yeah, right? You would have too. And then, and then I realized that for me to do the work that I want to do in this world, the only one who can give me that empathy and that compassion is myself. So I can stand up here and tell you about my F-ups and not tell you why they happened. So 18 years old, I am a bulimic and I have to be perfect. I have to be the most perfect. I am in field hockey. I am the head of my class and I go away to Stony Brook and then I get pregnant and I fail out of school and I did every drug prop possible. It was, it was a lot, it was a lot, yeah. Everything, I did all the things. All the shameful things, right? So, what does the great Brene Brown say about shame, right? She says that shame corrodes the very part of us that believes we are capable of change. So, for about five years, I was not capable of change. Um, gained a lot of weight, lost a lot. Actually, I was very good at gaining weight. I was very good because I'm a food. I'm a food addict. That's my first addiction. Seven years old, I started binge eating. My addiction is to eat as much food as possible and to numb out on it. Right? Everyone has their own thing. So what I like to do is I like to expose it. Shake. Let's get it out. Right? So we all have our things. 
We don't usually talk about them in public because it's TMI, right? It's your story. But my story matters. My story matters because I was obsessed with food and I also wanted to be successful, but it got in the way. And I also wanted to date and I didn't want to be 250 pounds and that's where I wound up, right? So the first time I lost weight and I was doing good, I was doing pretty good. I, I recouped, I got my ass back in school, got a degree in Spanish. I started traveling, met my husband, my, my ex-husband now. We'll talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> um, I, I got married. I was about to live the American dream. I was a program assistant. We were going to have a kid. Ten years later, we still did not have a kid. I don't know if you know anyone who's been impacted by infertility, but it sucks, right? So, and it's also one of those things you can't talk about. He didn't want me talking about it. Nobody wanted, I was dying inside. I was giving myself shots in the stomach, trying to figure out my career, trying to not eat everything in sight because that's my thing, right? And then, long story short, I lose 100 pounds again, right? I figure it out, start getting healthy, start taking my health seriously. And I enroll in a master's program at Stony Brook because I'm going to do HR now. I worked for a nonprofit. They were great. And then what happens is I proceed to blow up my life. It was a good one. <laughs> it was a good one. So I blow up my marriage, leave my husband, and um, I'm in first semester of grad school. And then a few weeks later, we go into the pandemic. Cool. <laughs> cool. I'm alone. I have my dad. He's here too. He's my ride or die. He's like, girl, do what you gotta do, right? When I was I, I was pregnant and I had a miscarriage and it, it was a thing when I was 18. I luckily slept so because I was not prepared to be a parent. The universe also thought I was not prepared to be a parent while I was married, and I am still not a parent, and that's okay because I'm not meant to be. I'm a woman who's not meant to be a mother. I'm meant to be cool singer girl and breaking through the glass ceiling and all the other things. And I'm probably going to be a good partner to somebody someday. Still not there. So you're in the middle of my journey. You're at the beginning of my book right now. So now this is the best part. The best part. I get myself back together. I read every self-help book under the sun. I find spirituality. Atheist to spiritual. It was beautiful. I'm, I'm Zen. I'm Chrissy B. Zen at this point. That's like my Instagram handle. I'm singing. Jess and I are singing throughout the entire pandemic. Farmers markets, even bars are hiring us for outdoor things. Things are really taking off. And then I become a recruiter. I graduate from HR and I love it. And I'm like, hit the ground running, breaking through the glass ceiling, right? I made friends with the CEO, the COO, the CFO. I'm in their face all the time because I'm a woman who doesn't have kids and I have a lot of energy. So what do I do? I'm gonna work around the clock. I'm gonna be the best you've ever seen. In that time, while I was being a perfectionist, so perfectionism gets in the way of progress. It gets in the, it's a roadblock. And we sensationalize it in this society, but it is not good. 
and I've learned my lesson, maybe, who knows. So fast forward a little bit. I am breaking through the glass ceiling, going on HR cruises, listening to speakers speak about HR. What happens next? What happens next? I'm introduced to DEI, DEI culture, diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? It makes so much sense. The world is changing. We had the Black Lives Matter movement. And I do look over at these beautiful women of color because guess what? Spoiler alert. alert. So hard to talk about race. It is so hard. But I want to be a white woman who does that. How did that happen? I don't know. I blew up my life so much that I'm willing to take on the hatred that's going to happen when I embark on this next part of my career. So long story short, I'm studying HR. I'm studying diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah, we're so cool. Everyone's an individual. We're going to learn about people. We're going to hire diversely. Wasn't happening at my agency. I started speaking out about it. I read two amazing books. This says, everything you, ev everything you already know about your own racism and how to do better. It's called White Women, right? I gave it to my bosses. They didn't love it. They didn't love it. Then, then I made an appointment with the, the, the CEO, and I handed him this book. It's called White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism. That was a good one, too. I gave them out to everyone. Now, a week later, a week later, I was fired for time theft. I was fired for time theft, and it was true. I was flexing my schedule. I totally effed up. It was a blind spot I didn't see coming. They probably didn't want me fired. I mean, they, they wanted me gone. They were done. They were done. But, like, my boss knew it was time for me to move on and get a better job. So now I'm on the job search, right? I'm trying to talk about all this because I have to be myself on a, on, on a job interview, clearly. So the beauty of all this is I effed up my life so many times that now I can talk about racism because people will hate me. And I've let down so many people that I don't give up. <laughs> Thank you. The other part of our business is, is an online learning platform. And what we do is we teach people who, who write books, who have content, who are advocates, are, are, are creators. And we teach them how to turn their content into workshops where they can make some money. Um, and they're not just workshops that are self-paced. That like These things exist all across the world. But what we do is we have one-to-one -one training and then the workshops are like 20 people max and they're really like an intimate experience between you and the creator. So imagine that you get to hang out with my partner Dana who wrote this brilliant book and Nicole knows she took the workshop. <laughs> and uh, Dana is a 25 year career educator and she figured out this beautiful system. It's called Ready, Set, Teach. And again, it is with no investment for our U instructors. We invest in them because we want to help them create this. And so our platform is basically like a university style thing where we have seven schools. We've got school of metaphysics, school of empowerment, creative expression. Um, it takes a village. Uh, basically, like anything that you can think of that you need in your life falls into a bucket. And when we don't have something that falls in a bucket, we got the kitchen sink school. So not much has fallen in there yet. 
Um, so what I want to do today is uh, give away for the second raffle um, Dana's two books. So she wrote 10 Recommandments for Personal Empowerment. And then she wrote this follow up called Decoding the Woo Woo. Um, Decoding the Woo Woo literally does decode all that like hippy dippy stuff. And she like clarifies it in her own perspective. But they're brilliant. Um, I think 10 Recs is going to be like the next thing that everybody needs to read. Everybody needs to go through this. Everybody needs to understand themselves. And Dana doesn't tell you how to do it. She tells you her experiences doing it. And she goes from throwing out a twat punch to saying something like I can't pronounce like erudite words. Like she's really smart, <laughs> but she's hilarious. And then she's also like some of the parts will just make you cry because her story's rough. We all have rough stories. Um, and so she's the artist. And she is the artist. Wow. So features her artwork. Um, and yeah, so the winner that Christian pulled is um, Nicole's stepmom. <laughs> And that concludes our presentation of Those Who Rise and Shine. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. If you would like information on our next event, please email hello at uniquelyphenom.com. That's H-E-L-L-O at U-N-I-Q-U-E-L-Y-P-H-E-N-O-M dot com.